thanks, guys. I love y'all. I love y'all so much. Merry Christmas. I'm excited to do a Christmas message that's kind of wrapped up in our God is blank series. And so we're going to talk about God is here and how amazing and mind blowing it is that God became a man and the implications of that and how that just completely changes everything about life as we know it. And the thing about Christmas is that sometimes Christmas, um, when I being a guy um, and not enjoying Hallmark movies, and I know some, not all girls love Hallmark movies, I was just in Oregon at Cannon Beach and I was d speaking at a conference and it literally looked like a Hallmark movie. It was like, it was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, but it, it got me thinking like, how could we take the most amazing epic thing that's ever happened and turn it into something cheesy? The Christmas spirit. And really, when you think about God became a man, he came and he came sent on a rescue mission to save the earth. And we love Christmas around our house. I have two kids, an eight, a seven-year-old named Owen and a four-year-old Evelyn. And Evelyn isn't sure if Santa Claus is real or not, but she actually got it confirmed that he was real because we were shopping, shopping for Christmas trees and the Santa and Mrs. Claus drove up and, uh, and she went up and they give him candy canes, and she was like, I told you, Daddy. I told you he's real. And it was so cute. So we have, I could go all night about how crazy my wife is about Christmas. Um, as soon as Halloween, I get home the next day from the Halloween party, she's playing Santa Baby by my, Michael Buble. And, and that one just like, that one makes me uncomfortable, let me be honest. But um, it's just... You know, she's crazy. My whole closet, we have a big walk-in closet, but it's almost completely filled with wrapped gifts. So my closet is full, but my wallet is not, actually. So it's, she, she just goes crazy on Christmas. And But I think, honestly, Christmas is worth the hype. Christmas is worth all the hype and more because the, the greatest thing that's ever happened is Jesus came down and he changed the world, literally. So let me pray and we're going to jump in to some things that I'm just like really pumped to tell you guys about. Father, thank you so much that, that you are here, that you are here in this room, that you are with us, those of us that are followers of Christ. You are not only with us, you are inside us. You are living your life through us. And I pray that we would just, this would not just be a talk for information purposes, but this would be a celebration of who you are and uh, just be in awe of you, that during this Christmas season, we wouldn't just be in awe because of the lights and things like that, but just our lives would be lived in a way where we just can't get over the fact that you've given your life to us, you've given us new life, you've given us eternal life, and we can know you on a deeper and deeper level, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can tell I'm a little, a little fired up. So let's check out this first passage, it's Galatians 4, 4 through 7. I love this. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If you understand this passage, you just want to scream out, hallelujah, okay? <laughs> and you just want to be in awe of who he is. I love this. You think about the history of humanity. It says, at 
When the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, another translation says. I want you to underline that phrase. Because you read the Old Testament. The Old Testament gets a bad rap sometimes. Um, It's actually God's word, and it's actually filled with great insights into living a life for God. And, And it's filled with God's story, God's grand story of how he's on a rescue mission to bring back and to redeem mankind, his people. Because Adam and Eve in the garden, they messed things up royally. They jacked it up. They sinned against God. And there was, as, as soon as that happened, God put another plan in place. Because God's quick like that. He can just make this epic plan. And he, things were perfect for Jesus to come. You can study this historically. The Romans had roads to all civilization so that the, from when Jesus came, the gospel could spread much quicker. Uh, there was a lot of things that God did all throughout history. And God's God, right? So he knows, and he said, at just the right time, God sent his son. But what, what, that's, that blows my mind. But what blows my mind the most about this, about this passage is that God sent his son, his only son, to make us sons. To make us sons and daughters of God. And so he, he sent his son, he sacrificed his son so he could get a bunch of adopted, we're actually adopted children into God's family. And and God sent Jesus to earth, and Jesus was a man, fully God on earth. He walked around on earth, and he died on the cross in our place for our sins. And we we not only get to be sons of God, or daughters of God, we get the spirit of God to come live inside of our life. Like, this is Christmas right here. This is, this is what Christmas is about. It's about God sending his son to come to earth. God is here. God came, and he said... I'm Jesus, I'm God, I'm here. This is, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. And then when he ascended into heaven, he sent us his spirit, and now God is in you. If you're a follower of Christ, you can accept God's spirit into your life. When God sent Jesus into the world, he was saying, I have not given up on you. My favorite Christmas verse is Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And the crazy thing about this passage is this verse was written hundreds of years before Jesus came. This was about the coming Messiah, how God was going to give hope to this desperately dark world. Let's read this, the Galatians passage again. I love it. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Galatians 4, 4-7. through This is just mind-blowing to me. God is here. God is with you. And there's something inside you, if you're a follower of Christ, that, that is uh, deep within your heart that cries, Abba, Father, where you realize that this is what I was made for. I was made to know God personally. Um, Matthew 1, 20, 23, it says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We were actually singing a, a song about Emmanuel. The last song was about Emmanuel. It's about God being with us. God is here. 
And so that's where I got the inspiration for this talk, is God actually came down. For Colossians 1.27, it says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So God sent his son to earth to show us, to give an example, to die on the cross in our place for our sins. And then he comes to live inside of us. That is the most amazing thing on earth. Is It's a mystery. I don't even understand it. It blows my mind. Christ came into you, and he can change you from the inside out, and he can cause you to live a life that is in awe and worship of him. And that's actually my first point. Because God came, because God is here, God is actually here in our midst, in this place right now. He is actually in me because I'm a follower of Christ, and I experience him daily. I experience him on a daily basis. Because of that fact, we can live in awe of his grace. We can live in awe of his grace. I pray that you never get over the fact that God has saved you. I pray that you never get over the fact that you get to know God on a real and personal level. God is awesome. Anyone here last, last week? Okay. Cody's message, that was fire. Okay. It was awesome. If you, have, if you didn't hear it last week, go back to our podcast and check it out. God is amazing. And it, the only proper response in life is to live in a constant state of awe before God. That's the only way that you can be in touch with reality. Because this is God's world, and God is awesome, and living in awe of who God is, and walking, getting deeper and deeper with him, is actually the most, the closest to reality you will ever get. Some people say you can be so heavenly minded that you're no, no earthly good. That's not true. If you think about God too much, that it's impossible to think about God too much. It's impossible to, to dwell on who he is and to follow him and to grow closer and closer to him because he makes everything else make sense. If you, if you have trouble making sense of your life, it's because you're not getting as close to God as you could be. Because this is a progressively deeper and deeper thing you can grow in your, your relationship with God. What a privilege it is, not only to know God personally, but to talk to him to talk to him on an intimate basis. This, this passage blows my mind. Hebrews 4, 16, it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That boggles my mind, that I can approach God directly, that when I pray, I, sometimes I forget who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the king of kings, the one sitting on the throne but, but because of what Jesus did on Christmas and, and his life and death and resurrection, I can go straight into God. I have a direct connection. I tell people all the time, hey, I'll pray for you. And like God answers my prayers. I got, I got, the, I got the inside track with him. And, and here's a, here's a uh, tip for you. So do you. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a direct connection to God. And, and I, that's what I want to ask you about is, do you experience that in your life? Do you experience a connection with God? Because if you're a follower of Christ, you can have that on a daily basis. And then my other question with that, with this, if this is true, why aren't we seeing more answers to prayer? Why aren't we seeing God actually do stuff in our lives? And so I've, I've started to live this life for about... 15 or so years, and I've seen a lot of answers to prayer. It's not like every single day I see an obvious one, but 
I have seen a lot of answers to prayer, and it's because when you live this way, and then you're in awe of God as he answers prayer after prayer. Speaking of being in awe of someone, I met uh, someone that I'm kind of a fanboy of. Um, he, his name is David Platt, okay? And he's like this speaker, author guy. And um, I was kind of awestruck and starstruck by this guy. And I got to meet him. And I started rambling. And I, and it, I met him. And I was like, dude, I love your books. We're going through your material at, at Chico Project, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, whoa, dude, slow down. What's your name? Uh, let me beat you. And I was just like, I, it was really an awkward thing. But I got a picture with him, so it was all good. I got a selfie with him, so I'm in. At least I didn't change my uh, profile picture to make it. That's, you know, I'm not that much of a fanboy. Um, but I remember being in this room with, a, with several other college ministry leaders, and he was up there speaking, and he's got a lot of influence, but he's also, like, very obviously in touch with God and knows God. And we were kind of, like, the room was, like, had a buzz to it, had a vibe to it, where it's just, like, no one was bored in that moment. Because this dude was up there, like, weeping, like, telling pe- like us the truth about God and the lost. And he was just letting God's spirit flow through him. And it was, it was this vibe of, like, a tangible, real, real relationship with God that the spirit was just, like, bursting out of him. It was crazy. But you think about that. We were in awe of David Platt, and I, he, was, he does CrossFit, so he's, like, super jacked, too. And I was like, whoa, look at it. I was like, think of how godly he is, and look at his muscles. I was like, oh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to feel. <laughs> okay. So that made this a little far. But... Man, we serve the God of the universe. God is awesome. We get direct connection with him. Ephesians 3.12 says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Again, we have that direct connection to God. You can be confident and bold in your, in your walk with God. So in prayer, let me challenge you. In your prayer life, do you approach it with awe? Like, I get to do this. I get to talk to the living God. I get to connect with him in a real way. Or is it just like, oh, I got to do my prayer time? Like, is it a I got to or is it on a get to? What about your Bible? When you, when you wake up in the morning, you open your Bible. How do you feel about that? I remember when I was first dating Christy, we would write these really sappy love letters. It would be embarrassing. I, want, I should read some to you sometime. It would be really fun to make fun of us. But I remember just like I would smell them, which is kind of creepy. And, you know, she'd spray her perfume and just like stuff like that. And it was just like I savored every word. And um, I think that's kind of more of what our Bible reading should look like in a not creepy way. Okay. <laughs> um, it, should, it should look like savoring the flavor of every word. Like you hear familiar scriptures like John 3.16 or Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So those of you that grew up in church have probably heard that verse 500 times, 1,000 times. But when you read it in your time with God, let me challenge you. Don't just say, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that. But learn to reflect and to live in awe of what God is saying in these passages. Learn to take words and scripture and not just read them, but meditate on them, soak them, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in them. So, so ask God to give you a deeper desire for not only for him in prayer, but for his word. 
Recently, I was at the end of a really long day, and I was serving the Lord. I was doing a lot of things, and I needed to have my time, my time alone with God, my quiet time. And the last, it was actually, honestly, the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to get on Twitter. I wanted to look at memes. I wanted to do other things, but or I'm really into comedy these days, which is yeah. So, um, yeah. So I wanted to watch that, but I um, I did it. I opened my Bible in obedience, and I prayed, God, help me want to do this. And an hour later, I was reading my Bible, I was praying, I was like, I cannot believe I did not want to do this. And this is actually happens to me almost like once a week, okay? About once a week, I, I get there, and I'm, I'm like, okay, I know I need to do this, but I'm like, God, help this to be a really fruitful time. Open the word. An hour later, it's like, man, there's nothing I would trade in the world for that. There's no meme <laughs> that would compare. <laughs> I was reading the Christmas story, and um, I came across, I've read the it's, Christmas story. is one of those things I've, like, read a million times or heard read. And I came across this, this phrase in the Christmas story. You can read it in Luke 2. The whole story is awesome. But it says this, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I think that was really interesting, is that I think that's what we need to do sometimes. We need to take what God has done in our life, and we need to not, not just brush by it, but we need to treasure it up, and we need to think about it. We need to ponder them in our heart. We need to appreciate God for who he is. Some of us are too busy trying to work for Christ that we forget to worship Christ. Sometimes we get so busy trying to produce, trying to do something for God, that we forget to live a life of praise before God. And because first, before we're anything else, before we're workers for God, which we should work for God, we're worshipers of God. We should be worshipers of, of God before we're workers for God. And because that will flow, when you worship God for who he is, everything else flows out of that. Because you're like, hey, you have to know this. When you're in evangelism, it's not like this, this sales pitch you're learning. You're like, no, dude, you have to know this God that I know. Like, it is changing my life. And so it's, it's instead of that than, than just some canned approach. John 7, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only, God, only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. It's knowing God. Yes, heaven is part of knowing God, but really eternal life is the moment you come to know Jesus. And from then on, you could get to know him on a deeper and deeper level. Eternal life is connection with God, and it starts now. It starts the moment that you give your life to Jesus Christ. And then it's just a progressively, it, when we, even in heaven, we're going to get to know God better and better and better and better and better. So all in this life, I want to I follow that. That's something I've prayed, I pray for a lot of you, is not just that you, you follow God and you obey God, but you know God. That you know God better to, tomorrow than you did today. That you know God way better this time next year than you do right now. That's my prayer for you. So I want to challenge you. What is one goal that, that you can make to grow deeper in your relationship with God over winter break? Think about it. Don't make a weak sauce goal, okay, because that doesn't inspire anyone. Some goals I've made is I, in, during a, a break, I, actually summer break, I memorized a verse a day. It was really hard, but man, God changed my life that summer. I've had times in my life where I tried to pray for an hour a day, or I tried to read like six or seven, like 10 books over break. 
Christian books. You can do, you have a lot of free time over winter break, and I'm, I know I'm going to watch some Netflix for sure, but just like the next guy, but man, I want to encourage you to make this winter break a boost in your walk with God, not a banana peel. Okay, anyone see Mario Kart? You want it to be a boost, not a banana peel, okay? So, so make some goals. Make some goals of wh- how you're going to walk with God, how you're going to follow him, and how you're going to grow, not just know God, but know him deeper, know him more intimately. And then because God is with you, you can overcome any temptation that comes your way, anything. The problem with this, my first point, so back to my first point, I have a problem in living in awe of God. I have a problem in my life, and it's, it's, it's a big problem, and it's always with me. It's called me. <laughs> it's called sin, okay? I have a sinful side. Even when you're born again, when, you're, when you know Jesus, you have what's called the flesh, the sinful nature that's always with you. My biggest enemy is me. You can't stop me. <laughs> okay. Andy Minio, anyone? Um, John, Apostle Paul in Romans 7, 21 and 24 says this. So I find this a lot at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. For as long as you live, there will be a tug of war. There will be a battle inside your heart. For who will rule this heart? My sinful nature or Christ? I haven't had a day in my life that I didn't have to intentionally choose to put Christ first. Every single day of my life, I have to choose. I'm going to put Jesus first, and then actually there isn't a day of my life where I don't sin in some way. I remember when I started gaining some momentum over a certain sin that had been really dogging me for years, it was, it was something that, that I was just giving into, and I was honestly somewhat addicted. But then I started to gain freedom. I started to come out of it. I started to, to walk with God, and, and I was like, yes. I'm above it. Yes, finally. And then I was like, oh, and I fell. I, I, I did it again. I did the thing I said I'd never do again. And I remember just kind of being broken before God and just saying, why? Why did this happen? Why did I let this happen to me again? And it was one of the clear times that God has spoken to me. And he does, doesn't happen to me all the time. But it was an impression in my mind, a thought that came to my mind. He said, what else would you do without me? What else would you do without me? And then I came across this verse. It's in Galatians 5, 16 through 18. It says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with, with each other, so that you, you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That first phrase was the thing that stood out to me. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's that simple. Just If you can figure out what that means, and you can live that out, you can walk with God. You can, you can not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the reason I gave into that temptation then was because I was not walking in the Spirit. 
Bottom line. I was not living on independence upon God. I was living on self-dependence. So if you depend on God, you can do anything. You can accomplish anything for God. But if you just depend on your, your willpower, you're going to fail. Everyone has limits. I'm watch, my wife and I are watching 24, and, uh, and uh, I don't know if it's good or not, but um, we're watching it, and, and one of the phrases they always say is, everyone has a breaking point. Everyone has a breaking point. And, and I think that's true, is your willpower will only take you so far. So far. But with God's power, you honestly can over, I don't care how addicted you are. I don't care how many times you've given it into this temptation. I don't care how much of a habit this is. God can free you right now. If you choose to surrender your life to him and choose to rely on the spirit, you can walk in freedom. I've heard about this illustration where there's two dogs in your life, okay? The, the good dog, the, the sinful nature, and then the spirit. And so there's two dogs. And I've heard the illustration where someone says, whatever dog, what dog is going to win? Whatever one you feed, right? And that kind of makes sense, right? Okay, so, so you, you read the Bible, you pray. Those are all good things, and those strengthen you. And, but the thing is, is the other dog is the Holy Spirit, and who is the Holy Spirit? He is God. And the Holy Spirit of God, so if we're going to go with the dog illustration, all you got to do is unlock that dog from the leash, and there's no contest, okay? When you have the Spirit in your life, all you have to do is let the Spirit work, and that dog will win every single time. So you let the Holy Spirit take over your life, and you learn to surrender and to walk with Him, and it's a promise from God that you walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So think about last week. How would it be different if you were on the adventure of letting the Holy Spirit guide you every moment? How would your life be different? Think about that. Yes, you need to feed your mind with God's Word. Yes, you need to pray. Yes, you need to be in fellowship. But at the end of the day, there's no excuses for sin. You can't say, well, I'm just weak. I'm just, I know, it's, I've had a hard semester. Because you, if you have the Spirit in you, you have more than enough power to overcome any temptation, no matter how weak you are, no matter how addicted you are. It's just the truth of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except for what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. So there's no temptation that will, will take you down, that can take you down, if, only if you let it. So as followers of Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. That's what the Bible says, is, is we are freed from sin. So that means that sin is not our master anymore. And we just, we go back to it occasionally because we're dumb, okay? But... And, and But we need to learn to rely on the Spirit. So I'd encourage you to memorize this verse. If you're human, I encourage you to memorize that verse because you struggle with temptation. Um, so let me ask you a question. What temptation are you likely to face over winter break? Let's go, we're going into our break. And what is your strategy for overcoming it? Who can keep you accountable? Maybe think about what's one person I, that can keep me accountable in my walk with God, and in the, whatever temptation comes to your mind right now. Next thing, because God is with us, this is awesome. It doesn't sound awesome at first, but it really is awesome, is we can suffer with joy as we share the good news. We can suffer with joy. 
Jesus is the ultimate example of this. This is a great Christmas verse, John 20, 21. As a father has sent me, I'm sending you. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for people that didn't know him. And he sends his followers to sacrifice our lives, to lay down our lives so that others can know this grace and know this love. In the same way, God is calling you to sacrifice so that others can know him. 1 Peter 2, 21, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, 21. This is kind of a weird verse. It's like, to this you were called, it almost sounds like a privilege to suffer for Christ. And it is. It actually is a, a privilege to suffer for Christ. I've, I just saw on the internet, on the way here today, I saw that there's a hundred Chinese believers that have been kidnapped. They don't know where they are. They raided a church in China, and their, their fellow church members don't know where they are. And the letter from the pastor said, Do, we are not going to stop meeting. We are going to continue praying. We're going to continue our mission. We, because Jesus is worth it. And he even used the terminology, God has granted us the great, the great privilege of suffering for his name. God has, God has, has given us this great privilege and honor to be persecuted for him. I've studied mission history and I've read a lot of biographies in my life. And I've read a lot of different things about missionary heroes. And they have a lot of weird quirkiness, and they were re very imperfect. So if you're wondering that, a lot of them were, were really had some weird things going on. But the, the thing, God used them greatly. Anyone that God used greatly had a lot of pain and a lot of suffering that they had to learn to endure. That's something I discovered. And one book I read, it's called The Insanity of God. It's by Nick Ripkin. You might want to jot that title down if you're interested. It's called Insanity of God. And it has story after story of guys like that in China that were just kidnapped. Like today, they are still kidnapped. We don't know where they are. We need to pray for them. But there's people like that all over the world. And this guy, Nick Ripkin, went around interviewing persecuted Christians around the world. And this is one of his interviews that I'm going to show you. And it is one of the things that God really used in my life when I saw it. So let's check it out, and then I'll have more to say after that. We arrived uh, after a five-hour trip at this very small house. This old man meets us at the door, and, and if I had to guess his age, I'd say 100. And as I started to interview him, I found out he was 63 years of age. So he said, Nick, come in, come in and, and, and sit here, uh, sit at this chair. This is the spot where I was standing teaching the Bible when I was arrested and sent to prison for 17 years. You know, I've been in Africa for, for, for two decades and I don't want to sit in that chair, you know. I, I, I want to sit somewhere else and he makes me sit right here and, and he, he begins to tell the story of being an engineer and his wife a school teacher and um, how his kids were in the government school and uh, he was in the government factory and, and how over a period of time uh, pastors were compromised and churches were closed. And so one day in fear and trembling, this brother, whom I'm now listening to his story, uh, uh, said to his wife, uh, 
Now, now, now don't get angry at me. Uh, don't, uh, don't, think, don't, don't think I'm stupid. Uh, just, uh, just be patient with me. But our boys are growing up with no uh, religious training. I'm not a pastor. Uh, this is not a church. But what would you think if, my, if I would just once or twice a week get the boys together and read the Bible to them? Now, his wife had been praying for years that he would step up and be a spiritual leader. It's like they say in Africa, uh, the man is the head, but the woman is the neck, and she can make that head go anywhere she wants to. And so he starts reading the Bible to his kids, and he does a terrible job. But as time goes on, they begin to learn the stories and tell the stories to each other and interact with the stories. And, and the neighbors got to watching this. And they came to this man of God and said, uh, can, can we, can we uh, come and study the Bible? And he said, whoa, no, 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 I, I'm not a pastor. I've had no training. Uh, this is not a church building. He says, we're just singing and praying and uh, talking about the word. And he said, well, that's all we want to do. So when the little house group grew to be 75 people, the KGB just could not allow that. So they came the next worship service and arrested the man of God from the spot where I'm now sitting doing the interview. And they took him a thousand miles north and put him in a prison of 1,500 hardened criminals and he's the only believer. story I just I just can't help but blurt out uh, how did you stand it how how did you survive it well what did you do and he said for all of those 17 years in prison he said every morning when the Sun was coming up I would stand beside my bed at attention I would raise my arms in praise and I would face the East and I would sing my heart song to Jesus can you picture what the rest of the prisoners would do when the man of God began doing that? They're throwing old food, they're throwing human waste, and there stands your brother with his hands up, uh, praising Jesus, singing his art song. And he said to me, Nick, whenever I could find a, a scrap piece of paper, charcoal piece of pencil, I would rush back uh, to my cage, to my cell, and I would write, every Bible verse or any Bible story that I could remember. I would take that scriptural offering and I would stick it as high as I could on one of those concrete pillars. 
But when the guards would see it, and when they would read the content, they would tear it to shreds and beat me uh, for writing out those Bible verses. And this was very common in many places in the former Soviet Union. The day came when they decided to break him. And they brought a, a criminal woman that was much the size and shape of his wife and dressed this criminal lady in his wife's clothes and they drag her by the cell with her face turned away and take her down to a, a torture facility. And he listens for three days and three nights as they abuse her, torture her, and kill her. And then they carry her body out, wrapped in a blanket, with him thinking, this is his wife. And they look at him and say, you're next. And he says to God, what I had said to God in Somalia, this is too much. And he sat on the side of the bed, gave up, called to his guards, and said to them, you win. All they wanted him to sign was a document that said he was not a follower of Jesus, and he was being paid by Western governments to overthrow the USSR. He signs that, he's free to go. He said, go write your document. I'll sign anything you want. And he sat on the side of the bed in just despair of soul. The next morning, the guards came with a confession, and his back is straight, his shoulders are square, there's fire in his eyes, and he says, I'm signing nothing. And they said, what happened to you? He said, the Holy Spirit of God allowed me to hear the voices of my wife my kids and my brother, as they prayed for me, I not only know that my wife is physically okay, but I know that she's spiritually still walking with the Lord. And he looked at his guards and he said, get out of my jail cell. He said, Nick, two weeks later, out on the exercise yard was a whole piece of paper, and laying next to it was a pencil, and I knew the Holy Spirit had placed it there for me. I ran back to my cell and wrote every Bible verse every spiritual biblical song, every Bible story I could remember, as tiny as I could. He said, I, I took it and I reached as 
high as I could, as high as I could on that wet concrete pillar to give God the greatest scriptural offering that I could give him. He said it didn't take long till the guards saw that. And when they looked on the both sides of that paper and read what I've done, they ripped it in shreds and they began to beat our brother without mercy. And they said, look out that window. You see those posts out there? In 10 minutes, you will be tied to that post. In 15 minutes, you will be dead. And they grabbed him by the front of the shirt and began to drag him out of his jail cell. As they got to the door, the gate of the prison, I can still picture it. 1,500 hardened criminals stood beside their bed, stood at attention, and 3,000 hands, arms were raised in praise to God as they faced the east, and they sang that heart song to God that they heard the man of God sing all those years. Can you imagine what that choir to God sounded like? And the guards let go of our brother as if they were with sheer terror. And they looked at him and they said, who are you? And he said, I am the son of the living God, and his name is Jesus the Christ. I've got a doctrine. What can I teach this man about the kingdom of God? Oh, Bože, Bože, daj mi sili. Ja tušu palažuzani. Second Corinthians four sixteen through eighteen. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet in, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. What kept Dimitri, this is his name, following God even in the most difficult circumstances? What was it? It was God with him. It was God is here. It was God is here. And little did Dimitri know that we would be sitting here watching his story. This actually, this story, the speaker actually came to a conference, and this story and stories like it actually called me into ministry. The, this was the kind of thing that I, I realized if these people could risk their lives to share Christ, at least I can ri risk a little rejection by sharing Christ with my friends and family and the people in my hall. So that's my question for you is, who of your friends and family, which of your friends and family will you share Christ with over winter break? 
They probably, probably the highest amount of suffering will be a little bit of awkwardness. But last time I checked, no one died from awkwardness, okay? We, we are called to suffer with Christ. So whatever it takes, that's one of our mottos of challenges. We will share Christ with the world, and we'll do whatever it takes to reach one more person for Christ. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that we get to not only enjoy you and experience you, but we get to live in victory and freedom and we get to suffer with you and for you. And we get to share your word to the ends of the earth. And I pray that each of us in here, wherever we're at in our walk with you and our relationship with you, that we would go deeper. That this winter break, we would, we would grow deeper with you and we would be more committed to do whatever you're calling us to do. And so we pray that this rest of this worship time would really glorify you and honor you and that our lives would live in the reality of that you really are real and so you really are worth giving our whole lives to and worshiping and, and, and loving you and overcoming any temptation that comes. So God, give us, continue to pour out your spirit and fill us with your spirit and help us to realize that you are here, that every day we grow into that realization that we, we understand that you are in us and you are with us and you are for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.